Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I may obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms. But when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. a man walks with God, the more he realizes that sin opposes the life of grace within him. Sin is a very powerful force. It can bankrupt a life, causing scandals and disgraces. The more a man sins, the more sin there is in him. But the more good a man does by the grace of God, the more good there is in him. Both good and evil flow from man's heart. This is why the Lord Jesus declares that an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth what is evil, but the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. Each day we must wrestle against indwelling sin and find victory over it by the grace of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, sometimes it is not obvious sins and transgressions that become a snare for us, but rather mistakes and errors in trust. Abram was a godly man. He loved the Lord with all his heart. He also had a moment of mistake when he didn't carefully guard his heart or fully trust in God. And this is what Genesis chapter 16 is all about. In these verses, we see Abram listening to the voice of reason and the voice of his wife, Sarah, and not to the voice of the Lord. 
Abram temporarily departs from the path of faith and capitulates to human plans and strategies. As chapter 16 opens, ten years have passed since God appeared to Abram and gave him the promise of a son who would be his heir. Under increasing pressure to see the promise fulfilled, Abram submits to the unwise counsel of his wife Sarah. We need to learn a valuable lesson here. Sometimes listening to the advice of a spouse can lead us astray spiritually. This is why it is so important that both a man and his wife stay very close to the Lord at all times and desire to think and live in a way that is pleasing to him. If one spouse thinks or plans without constant prayer and dependence upon the Holy Spirit, those thoughts and plans can influence the other spouse and keep him or her from obeying God's will. Verse 1 says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. To overcome her own barrenness, Sarah resorts to a pagan custom of the day which allows her to give her slave to her husband in order to obtain a child through the slave girl. This seems like a harmless practice. Sarah is just doing what everyone else in her culture is accustomed to do. If your husband needs to have a son to carry on his name, and you are barren, then you may resort to using your slave girl. But if we reflect more deeply, we realize that this is the fallacy of believing that the end justifies the means. In order for a course of action to be pleasing to God, we must have a proper end, a godly telos, and a proper means to reach that end. Undoubtedly, Sarah's motive was pure. She wanted to fulfill the promise of God made to her husband of a child who would bring the coming Messiah deliverer. But she relied upon her own wisdom and understanding to attain this goal instead of consulting God and leaning hard upon his guidance. Abram likewise failed to lean hard upon God. He did not take into account the unforeseen consequences of his complying with Sarah's request but sinfully yielded to her insistence. God had promised a son by the gift of his grace and not by human strategy. Both Sarah and Abram should have waited upon God to bring about the accomplishment of his promise in his own time and way. How often do we make the same mistake? We receive a word from God about his promise for our lives and then start relying upon ourselves and not upon God to bring about the promise. Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer, says, If we are doing things on our own initiative without expecting God to come in, we are on the downward path. We have lost the vision. Verse 4 shows the undesirable consequences that come from following our own reason and our own inclination. And Abram went into Hagar, 
and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. When we do not do the right thing, sin and trouble overtake us. Hagar discovers that she is pregnant and quickly looks with scorn upon her mistress. She is elated by the prospect of bearing Abram's son and becomes haughty toward Sarah, perhaps boasting of her pregnancy and Sarah's barrenness. Hagar thinks that now she is a better person than Sarah and more favored by God to bring the promised heir to Abram. Rather than admit her responsibility in causing this problem with Hagar, Sarah is stung to jealousy by the success of her own strategy. She cannot bear to see her own maid become her rival. So not being aware of the passions of anger and jealousy within her, she reproaches her husband Abram and blames him for her misery. May the wrong done to me be upon you, she says in verse 5. This puts Abram on the horns of a real dilemma. He is caught in anguish between two women. What is the lesson to be learned here? That when our disordered passions, jealousy, lust, anger, get the best of us, we quarrel with others and blame them for our own mistakes. I saw this dynamic over and over again during my counseling with husbands and wives as a Navy chaplain. The wife would blame the husband for her own passions and disordered ways, and the husband would blame the wife for his faults and mistakes. It is the old blame game that goes back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The woman that you gave me, she made me do it. We must always take responsibility for our own emotions and actions. The key to life is to take responsibility. Don't blame someone else for your own faults and problems. Abram's solution to this dilemma was to put the responsibility back onto Sarah. Rather than solve the problem himself as the leader of his family, he unwisely gives Sarah authority to deal with it. But Sarah is still held in the grip of her passions of anger and jealousy, so she treats Hagar harshly. The verb harshly implies outbursts of anger with striking blows. Hagar cannot endure this mistreatment and flees back towards her hometown of Shur in Egypt. An angel of the Lord finds Hagar about 150 miles out in the desert on a caravan route to Egypt. The angel meets her and tells her to return to her mistress and submit to her. Why does the angel tell Hagar to do this? Because in fleeing from Abram, she is fleeing from Abram's God as well. Hagar is in a godly home, surrounded by the privileges of true religion. Even though Sarah has sinned against her by treating her harshly, she still is better off returning home to live with Sarah and Abram than to return to her hometown of Shur and be surrounded by the idols of Egypt. In fleeing away from Sarah, Hagar is out of the path of duty and going further astray. She must return home, humble herself for what she has done wrong, and submit to her mistress to serve her. 
Hagar turns around and starts the journey back to Palestine, and the angel gives her an announcement. You will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, meaning God hears. What a tremendous truth, dear friend. God hears. God heard Hagar struggling in the desert alone, and God heard Abraham and Sarah in their misery and acted on their behalf. This is an encouraging truth for all who love and follow God. He hears us and responds with mercy to our need. The angel further tells Hagar that she is pregnant with a son. To be out alone and pregnant in the wilderness put Hagar in a dangerous situation. Fortunately, the angel finds her, directs her back home, and comforts her with a promise. Many scholars believe that the angel of the Lord that appeared to Hagar was in fact an appearance of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. He appeared to Hagar even as he appeared to Moses at the burning bush and to Jacob at Peniel. Hagar called the angel of the Lord the God who sees and exclaimed, Have I been able to remain alive after seeing him? She then named the well at which the angel found her, the well of the living one who sees me. Hagar had encountered the living and true God, and he changed her life from that moment forward. The well became a lasting memorial of her newfound trust in God and a grateful recognition of God's mercy to her in her time of distress. As chapter 17 opens, Abram is 99 years old and Ishmael is 13 years old. God appears to Abram again and he reiterates the covenant he made with him in chapter 15. When we combine these two statements of the covenant, we see God's side and man's side of the same agreement. Chapter 15 sets the pattern of grace and answering faith. Chapter 17 stipulates Abram's obedience to the terms of the covenant. There are two sides to the same coin of faith, imputed righteousness and expressed devotion and obedience. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. It is important that faith and obedience not be separated, for the Bible does not separate them. 
true faith always produces the good works of obedience and commitment to God. Verse 1 reads, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. What God asks of Abram is what he asked of Enoch, Noah, and all his followers before him. Walk before me and be blameless. Now to be blameless means to be sincere, to be upright in heart, speech, and behavior. It means to have a complete obedience to God and to walk before him with integrity. This is a powerful lesson for every follower of God. A lack of faith delays God's blessings. When we do not fully trust God's love, we fall into self-sufficiency and distraction. Our inner lives become disordered. We no longer ask God to know all and guide all. Uneasiness, reserve, and distance come between us and our experience of God. To escape uneasiness and distance, we throw ourselves into business or external religion or entertainment or some other distraction. But there is no real vital union and communion with God. The remedy for this is to repent of our falling away and get back in step with God again. We must have a complete and mature faith that trusts in God with a childlike trust and reliance, bringing our thoughts and wants and wishes before Him. We must enter back into a long obedience in the same direction of loving, adoring, and desiring God. Abram's response to God's appearance is that he immediately fell on his face in reverential awe and worship. We need to remember that anyone admitted into fellowship with God must be very humble and reverent in their approach to God. Undue familiarity with God easily breeds contempt and a casual obedience. Then God changes Abram's name to Abraham, meaning the father of a multitude. From this day forward, Abraham will always be reminded of the faithfulness of God to keep the covenant he has made. Every time someone called his name, Abraham would remember God's promise and rejoice in the coming of Isaac, the child of promise. Not only did God change Abram's name to Abraham, but he instituted circumcision as a sign of the covenant. Circumcision, the cutting away of the male foreskin, was widely practiced in the Near East. But now God gave it a new meaning, to mark out the people of God, those who belong to the lineage of Abraham and his seed. Symbolically, circumcision meant the need to cut away sin and be cleansed to reverse the sickness of sin's depravity. To be circumcised was a sign of obedience to God in all matters. Throughout Scripture, circumcision stands as a symbol of purity and loyalty to God. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, 
that God would circumcise the hearts of his people so that they might be completely devoted to him. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 4 that circumcision of the heart is evidence of being inwardly set apart by the Holy Spirit into the life of faith. He says that we are the true circumcision who serve God in the spirit and put no confidence in the flesh. The true Jew is the man who is not outwardly, nor is true circumcision something outwardly in the flesh, but he is a true Jew who is one inwardly with circumcision of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. So the outward physical sign points to the inward spiritual reality. The transforming gospel of the Lord Jesus changes our hearts from within by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we keep the commandments of God and live in a way that pleases him. Philippians chapter 2 says, For we are the true circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. On the other hand, an uncircumcised heart is a symbol of unbelief and rebellion against God. An uncircumcised heart stands for a man who is self-sufficient and unbelieving. He does not put his trust in the death of Christ for him and lives his life away from God and in disobedience to him. Remember that Abram was uncircumcised when God called him from his hometown of Ur, and he was still uncircumcised when he was promised a legitimate son as his heir. Therefore, Abram is not only the father of the Jewish nation, but he is the father of all true believers, the father of all who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Abram's response to God was immediate obedience. Verse 23 says, Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day, as God had said to him. So Abraham obeyed God instantly without any delay. There are two dangers of delayed obedience to any of God's commands. First, when we fail to obey, we will grow spiritually indifferent. If we neglect doing what we know the Lord commands of us, a cooling of the heart occurs. The things of God become routine and our desire for prayer, for the word of God, for church worship, and for spiritual service is quenched. We may go through the motions of being a Christian, but we will lack the spiritual life of being a wholehearted follower of the Lord Jesus. We will treat Sunday worship as something merely optional, rather than as our bounden duty and service to adore and praise Almighty God. Then in verse 15, God not only changes Abram's name to Abraham, but he changes Sarah's name to Sarah. Sarai means my princess. Sarah takes away the limiting personal pronoun and designates her as simply princess. 
a small change, but an indication that from Sarah will come nations, kings, and peoples to populate the whole earth. Hearing this, Abraham laughed because it seemed incredible that a barren 90-year-old woman could give birth to a son. But God assured Abraham that Sarah would indeed give birth to a son whose name will be Isaac, meaning he laughs. So Abraham gives God proper adoration and worship by falling on his face, but at the same time he laughs in his heart that a son could come from Sarah. God looks past Abraham's unbelief to guarantee that indeed a son would miraculously be born to Sarah. God will always fulfill his will and purpose through us. The lesson from this chapter is very clear for Abraham, for Sarah, for Hagar, and for every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who put their faith in God must trust in his word and wait for the fulfillment of his promise in God's time and in God's way. Mrs. Charles Kalman, a wise devotional writer, says the Bible has a great deal to say about waiting for God and the teaching cannot be too strongly emphasized. We so easily become impatient with God's delays. Yet much of our trouble in life is the result of our own restlessness and sometimes reckless haste. We cannot wait for the fruit to ripen, but insist on picking it while it is still green. We cannot wait for the answers to our prayers, although it may take many years for the things we pray for to be prepared for us. Leaning on our own limited reason or devising human strategies will not help but actually hinder the outworking of God's plan. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, 
and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.